Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of About Abortion. What we've got for you today is a recording from our recent Liverpool Church Leaders Breakfast. Uh, if you've been following this podcast, you'll have heard Tim Lewis's uh, talk uh, a few weeks ago, which was Seed, Serpents and a Saviour, uh, which is really a biblical overview of the unborn child, the value of the unborn child, uh, biblically, and Satan's attack on the unborn child. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, do go back and, and listen to that. Uh, but today we've got something different. This is Pete Jackson's talk from that uh, conference and Peter's a a pastor in Sheffield and this is about why he as a pastor considers it important and very much a part of his calling and work as a pastor uh, to teach on this regularly to teach about abortion in the main Sunday morning service to his whole congregation this talk is worth listening to not just once but twice three times slowly it's dense it's packed full of prophetic insights into the cultural moment in which we're living Uh, how the church should be engaging in that and why this issue matters not just in terms of social action or um, sort of political activism but spiritually why this belongs right at the heart of the mission of the church and how there's an opportunity here for our witness uh, to Christ in our generation can be sharpened and uh, and made more powerful so do uh, listen to this share it especially with your church leaders and others in your church and I hope you find this helpful. So why is it part of the the ministry of a pastor and teacher? Why should the church's teachers and preachers be addressing this issue? And the reasons I want to give you, they've been developed from the reasons that I originally gave our church leadership team uh, six or seven years ago as to why we were going to begin addressing this issue in such a public way. We sat down and we went through it and I explained why. And one of my burdens was to show how this issue is so connected to all the things that we already say we care about as a church. The things that we say in our mission and our values, if you've got those kind of statements, the things that we're about as a church, uh, our core gospel mission and identity, how abortion actually relates to those things. Um, and because of, again, my own... Uh, context as a pastor and my own convictions as well the sort of church circles I'm in all the reasons I'm giving here they're rooted in what I would call a a high view of the office and ministry of a pastor uh, and a high view of the power of preaching and a high view of the role of and responsibility of the church in in, in the world Uh, and, and and in our church as I've already said we have a high view of of the church's corporate worship So we give time to abortion not because we're going fuzzy on those things or squishy on those things or vague and therefore sort of things that are not really for those contexts are starting to leak in. It's precisely because I've got commitments to to a high view of the calling of a pastor, um, what God's corporate worship is about, the role and responsibility of the church and, and preaching. Three types of reasons I want to give you. Um, So why do I preach on abortion once a year? Well, because true gospel preaching demands it. So those, if you like, are missional reasons. Because true gospel preaching demands it. Because changing the church demands it. So those are kind of reformational reasons or reasons to do with renewal. 
And thirdly, because tending the flock demands it. So those are pastoral reasons. Missional reasons, reformational reasons, pastoral reasons. So firstly, because true gospel preaching demands it, missional reasons. We planted Christchurch Walkley in Sheffield uh, just over 10 years ago. Uh, one of the things I found um, in those early years was as I tried to preach and teach on all sorts of different things in the context of our culture, trying to disciple people for Christian living in our context uh, and, and trying to disciple people for how to face off against our culture's prevailing idols and false gospels and, and our favourite sins as a society. As I tried to preach and disciple people for that context, the issue of abortion, well, I kept running into it. It was never very far away. Uh, a lot of our false gods and our uh, false gospels and our false, our false goods, uh, they converge on the issue of abortion. It's kind of like abortion is a concrete practice where we see those things for what they are. We see them made manifest. We see them put into practice. We see what the gods that we're following in our culture are really like. Um, and we see where those false gospels and favorite sins and false idols, where they lead. Um, so, yes, I do think that abortion is the human rights era, uh, issue of our era. I do. I do think it is the justice issue of our time. But I also believe, as part of that, that the practice of abortion and, and, and the way that it is given legal and social cover and approval, the practice of abortion in the UK is a fundamentally religious thing. It's a spiritual thing. So yes, it's a human rights issue. Yes, it's a justice issue. And for some people, saying that alone will make them go, well, of course, therefore, the church should be involved in that. And that's, that's true, isn't it? But I think it's also a spiritual issue. Uh, it's a fundamentally religious thing. Abortion is a practice. Uh, some have even said that it is a rite, R-I-T-E, or a ritual. Uh, some have described it as a sacrament. It's the sacrament of secular humanism. It's something through which we as a culture believe our gods will be at work to bring us their promised blessings. Well, and true gospel preaching has got to deal with those sorts of things. True gospel preaching wants to deal with the actual idols and the actual sins and the actual false gospels and false promises of the actual culture where we are, not just ones from 200 years ago or ones from some other culture over there. It's really easy to preach against a culture over there, isn't it? But we've got to preach the gospel into our own culture. And I think if we want to get concrete about that and talk about actual sins and actual gods and actual manifestations of these spiritual things, then I think we've got to talk about abortion. Let me give you some examples to illustrate that. And illustrate that. And these just are examples. If you want to preach the gospel today, for example, you've got to reckon with the sexual revolution. Right? What it is that we're doing and have done over the last however many years, whenever you trace it back to, what it is that we're doing to family and sex and relationships and men and women, and even now our understanding of male and female um, and all those issues, you've got, you've, got to, you've got to address that. Well, an abortion is deeply connected to the sexual revolution that we're still, we're still sort of in, in, in the midst of in some ways. It's deeply connected to our society's pursuit of sexual freedom, isn't it? Deeply connected to that. 
deeply connected to the way that we've dismantled the scripture's vision for the family. Deeply connected to the breakdown in cooperation between the generations and cooperation between men and women as well. Deeply connected to our, our masculinity crisis. The, these are, lots of these are actually the reasons why we have such a, 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 such a record on abortion and why it is allowed to carry on. So the sexual revolution. Another example would be if we're going to speak into materialism or consumerism. Because guess what happens when a culture believes that somebody's real value is, and nobody puts it like this, but the culture's saying this to us all the time, somebody's real value is as, a, as, an, as an economic agent. Your real value is that you consume goods and you provide services. So you can shut everything down, but everybody's got to keep working. Oh, and keep buying. Keep some of the shops open. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it, what, what shut down and what didn't shut down and what that said about mm. our priorities when it came to that. Um, so your real value is as an economic agent. Whatever you do, keep, you know, um, what was it, help out to eat out or whatever it was, I can't remember. <laughs> keep consuming goods. You can't go to church. But make sure you keep shopping at the supermarket. Uh, and we tell people that a good job and a good career is an expectation and even a right. Or we tell people that their happiness is bound up in their, their, their sort of life as an independent chooser, independent consumer. We are what we do. We are what we earn. We are what we consume. Well, when you tell people that, one of the things that happens is abortion. Because children are expensive. And they... They limit your choices. When you're thinking of yourself as primarily that autonomous, independent chooser, of course, um, children in all sorts of ways expand your choices in reality, but that's not how we think about it. Babies are costly. Interrupting your career is costly. Uh, and if your autonomous freedom is so important, well, you ought to be able to choose. Uh, another example of false gods, uh, false gospels, um, and favourite sins, all clusters around the state. Uh, the state uh, is an enormous idol in the 21st century, I believe. We look to the government for our daily bread. We look to the government for wisdom and rules for how to live the good life. We entrust them at times with our total peace and security. Um, I think it's one of the reasons politicians are so hated <laughs> is because they're kind of like the the high priests of this religious system that, that you know, that they must be doing it wrong because we're not being saved. <laughs> we're not getting the things that we thought we ought to have from the God. So you high priests are doing it wrong. We hate them. Um, we look to the state in all sorts of ways to be our saviour and our Lord. Well, abortion unmasks that idol for what it is, because in abortion, our government abandons its true God-given responsibility to protect life and to establish justice and to um, preside over that. Um, all, all, all the while, of course, that the state is getting more and more involved in all sorts of areas of life that it, it never used to. So we will have our light bulbs regulated, right? But... But abortion is fine. How can there be laws about light bulbs and permission 
to abort children. But that, that, that's, that's the state. Um, I'm going to say something really controversial now. Our relationship with the NHS especially illustrates this. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I don't know most of you. I'm aware in this room there will be people whose lives have been saved by the NHS in that they've been saved by doctors and nurses and treatment that they didn't have to pay for uh, at, at the moment of getting it. And there'll be people who work in the NHS, I'm sure. Um, so what do I mean when I talk about the NHS? I'm talking about the sense in which we look to the government to give us all of our life and health and prosperity, and especially the NHS is the means it's going to do that. It's like the church through which this God administers its grace to us. Um, and uh, just a little illustration of that I saw a picture of a mural painted in Sheffield during COVID crisis a little child with his hands folded in prayer and his head bowed and above him was the rainbow sign of the NHS he was praying to the NHS for his salvation in COVID um, so it's a deeply it's a deeply religious thing the way that we relate to the NHS that is not a slight on hard-working, loving, caring doctors and nurses and all that sort of thing. So don't mishear me. But Boris Johnson said, didn't he, that the NHS was run on love. Um, and of course, lots of doctors and nurses are loving, aren't they? And in as much as he meant that, it was true. But I think part of it actually was 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 this sense of, of the state as our saviour and the NHS as our means. Well, the majority of abortions that happen in the UK happen under the NHS. Sometimes it's in the corridor opposite where the babies are born. So if you turn left, they're being born. And if you turn right, they're being aborted. True gospel preaching should address those things. True gospel preaching actually should address the powers and authorities. The state is called upon to respond to Jesus as Lord. So true gospel preaching has got to address these things. Uh, or think another issue, another illustration of this, think about progress. We, we pride ourselves on our progress. We're progressive people here in the UK. We're uniquely positioned in the history of the world. We're uniquely wise. Uh, we're, we're so much knowledgeable. Things are getting better or we expect them to get better. And, and um, uh, we, we ourselves are better, especially than those savages that lived in the past with their religion and their superstition. Well, abortion shows us that. We're as religious as the pagans of old because when the gods come knocking on our door and ask us for our children, we hand them over. Um, the gods always want your children. That includes the true God who asks us, doesn't he, in, in prayer and discipleship to bring our children to him. Jesus says, let the ch little children come to me. Of course, coming to Jesus is... is the complete opposite, isn't it, to coming to a pagan god? Abortion is a rebuttal of our claim to be scientifically advanced and rational because we ignore the science and we ignore the evidence of reason in order to allow it. It's a blight on our education system and our democracy because it's these things that have produced uh, 56 years now approaching uh, of abortion. <coughs> being legalized in this country. All the things that we think symbolize our progress and our superiority. 
Well, we could give lots of other examples, uh, but the, the overall point I'm trying to make uh, under this heading of missional reasons, true gospel preaching demands addressing abortion is this. I, I trained for ministry in a time when uh, lots of people in my circles were talking about contextualization. And it was just kind of Bible college speak for preach to the actual people that are in front of you and the actual world in which they live. Not for stuff issues of 200 years ago don't refight the battles of 300 years ago fight the battles of today address the issues preach the gospel to the stuff that's going on right now for your people well let me suggest that if that kind of contextualization is going to be more than just kind of uh using illustrations from marvel movies or lyrics from pop songs then it needs to address the actual idols and the actual false gospels and the actual sins. Um, after all, that, that is actually where the gospel is going to be the sweetest, isn't it? Because Jesus delivers us from those things. Jesus delivers us from our sins, not just from sin as a concept. He delivers us from our actual sins. He delivers us from our actual idols to worship the true and living God. So the gospel is going to be the sweetest uh, in, in, in all those things. Well, that is going to mean getting to the issue of abortion in our preaching. Um, or it's going to mean a conscious choice to ignore it. If, if abortion is this place, is this context where you see all of these things actually converging and exposed, if it is a deeply religious issue, if we see where lots of our favourite sins as a culture lead, really clearly in abortion, but we are not going to go there. That's a conscious choice to refuse to do that, isn't it? Which would seem odd, wouldn't it? Second set of reasons, a little bit shorter, because changing the church demands it. These are reformational reasons or reasons of the renewal of the church. Uh, abortion is also a focal point, I think, for many of the things that need to change in the UK church and in our churches. Um, first of all, because actually those false gods and false gospels and, 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 and all those things, and I just named a few of them. If you don't like my examples, you can name more and see how they link up with abortion. Well, we in the church, we fall victim to those things as well. We fall in line with them. We fall in love with them as well. And so if we're going to tackle these issues within the church, we're going to have to get to the issue of abortion as well. We are guilty in the church of lots of the same attitudes to, to wealth and prosperity and family and men and women and marriage and sex and our purpose and, 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 and wealth and all those things. We're guilty of lots of those same attitudes to those things that either have caused our abortion situation or, or continue to provide a rationale or a cover for it. Um, and so even where we have not participated directly in abortions, we have been guilty of the same sins which have led to our culture of abortion. So if we want to reform the church, we have to get to those things. But in fact, there's more because we know, don't we, that Jesus tells his people that they are salt and light in the world. So that means the church bears a responsibility for what the world around us tastes like and for how dark it is. We don't bear the full responsibility. God is sovereign, of course, and sin is real and mysterious. 
but we have a, a, a role, don't we? There is a link between the health and the, 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 the faithfulness of the church and the state of a particular nation. There's a link. Someone has put it like this. They've said the walls of the church are porous. So things are either flowing out from the church into the culture for good. So grace is either flowing out or the world is seeping in. The walls of the church are porous. Um, abortion, I think, represents a failure by the church to stay true to God's word, to be willing to say controversial things. And I think, I think, I think abortion's not the only example of that. These are, our, these are among our besetting sins. It brings into focus our desire to be liked. And actually our, 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 our connecting of that to evangelism. And I think we, none of us would ever put it like this, but I think those of us who are pastors have to own up to when we've allowed this to, to come into our thinking because we've communicated that to our people, I think, that the success of our evangelism sort of is linked to our popularity, how much we're liked. The community starts thinking badly of us, we think the wheels have come off our evangelism. Well, of course, it could be. That could be the case, couldn't it? Depends for what reason we're not liked. Thank you so much for listening this far into this week's episode of About Abortion. I do hope you're finding these helpful. If you are finding them helpful, can I ask for your help in getting these messages to more of the people who need to hear them? This is the only podcast in the UK addressing the greatest injustice of our time. And we're delighted that these podcasts are delivered free of charge, uh, but they're not free to make. It costs about £300 a month to produce these podcasts. And if we had just 50 people um, donating around six or seven pounds a month, uh, that would cover our costs. It's about the same cost as an Amazon Prime subscription or a Netflix subscription. Would you consider giving six or seven or eight pounds a month to help us continue to deliver these messages and to be voices for the voices. We'd so appreciate if you could like, share, comment, subscribe, and uh, thanks so much, and we'll let you get back to the show now. But we've used evangelism as an excuse, I think, for compromise. And yet, the only true and, I think, transformative and effective answer to abortion and all of its issues is the gospel. And yet somehow we've often used the gospel as a reason to not talk about abortion. So it's a clear example, I think, of where we've kind of stunted the, 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 the reach and the depth of our gospel. We've said, yeah, the gospel's good for these issues, but it doesn't go there. Of course, none of us would ever put it like that. We wouldn't dream of putting it like that. But what does our not going there communicate or actually do in effect? So we preach a truncated Jesus who isn't interested in or isn't sufficient for abortion and all of its connected issues. Um, the excuse that you might sometimes hear is that, well, we're not going to speak upon abortion because it's a political issue. But when the church refuses to preach the gospel into an issue as of injustice on the scale of abortion and an issue that is spiritual, as I've said, you can see how it connects with idols and sins and false gospels in our culture 
it, when we refuse to do that, it shows that we are already radically politicised. Uh, Dr. Joe Boot helped me to see that. Some of you might know him. Help me to see that link. Church that won't speak into political issues, especially ones that are addressed by the scriptures, uh, is already radically politicised because it, what it means is we've accepted our lane. That the culture says these are things that the church can talk about and these are things the church can't talk about and we go, okay, thank you very much and we keep to our lane. And, and do you know what? That lane is shrinking, isn't it? Because guess what? Again, partly because the state is one of our idols. More and more issues are politicised. So soon, what are we not going to be able to talk about? Well, gender, because that's politicised, isn't it? Well, that's okay, isn't it? It's a good job the Bible doesn't have anything to say about men and women. Oh, hang on. We've accepted the, the small and ever-shrinking corner that our culture has given us and we keep to our lane. And we must not blunt the word of God or truncate the gospel or restrain the, our, our, our proclamation of the saving lordship of Jesus for the sake of keeping in our lane. So if the church is to be reformed so that it can be better salt and light because the walls of the church are porous, well, that's going to involve preaching and teaching on abortion. Not the only thing. But it is a significant thing. Thirdly and finally, because tending the flock demands it. And these are pastoral reasons. Um, so people in uh, all of our churches, there will be people here in this room, I'm assuming, who have careers and workplaces where they bump up against the issue of abortion. Midwives, nurses, doctors, counsellors, social workers. The people who are uh, working with um, people in the... I don't really like this phrase, but the sex industry. And these people might be looking for our help and support if we're pastors and teachers. Uh, they're looking for teaching and they're looking for discipleship, for how to live and speak for Jesus in their ordinary days. Well, who will provide it for them if we won't? Uh, what's more, people will actually take their lead from the, the preached word. So a silence in the pulpit will communicate to them that they ought to be silent in the workplace. And after all, how can we ask them to go and be brave and take a stand where they are if we won't do it on a Sunday with the church gathered around us? That's, that's got to be less scary than many a secular workplace. It's naive to assume that people in our churches as well will already think uh, clearly on this issue. There might even be people in this room who have questions uh, about uh, abortion. I'd encourage you, there are all sorts of resources that you can be pointed to to help you think the issue with clarity. Because uh, the point is, our silence doesn't leave a vacuum. The, the, the culture is already speaking about this all of the time in all sorts of ways. Uh, likewise, it's naive to assume that nobody in our church ever has had or ever will have an abortion. People will have abortions in our churches. And those near and dear to them will have abortions. And here's a thought. Some of them might do that because we have remained silent. And other people will carry the guilt of of abortion or connection with abortion around with them. 
Because they'll think that our silence means it is so terrible that it can't be forgiven. That's one of the lies that the devil whispers into the void that our preaching leaves. Women who have been coerced into an abortion and men who've had their child aborted against their will will think we don't care, but actually the real issue is worse. They will think that God doesn't care or that Christ doesn't have anything to say or any help to offer here. They might not articulate it like that, but that's what the experience will be like. Uh, the ministry of the pastor teacher is one of the ministries given by Christ to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It says that in Ephesians 4, doesn't it, that God gives uh, past, God gives um, uh, evan uh, apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastor teachers as a gift to the church to equip the saints for the work of service. So if you're a pastor, you love that, those verses because it's when you get to say to everybody, I, I'm not here to do everything. That's, that's the, 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 the body of the church. The church body as a whole, we're meant to do ministry. It's not that ministry happens by me and everyone else just sort of listens or tags along. Um, unless we think that the tragedy and injustice of abortion and all of the other tragedies and injustices that surround it, unless we think those are things that Christians don't really have anything to contribute to and shouldn't really be concerned about that, unless we think that, then what it means is that in the issue of abortion, we've got something that is an area requiring Christian speech and thought and action and service, and your church needs to be equipped for that. People need to be equipped for it. It's an area of faithfulness in modern life. Because you see, just as the direction of the flow should be from the church out as salt and light, the direction of flow within the church that leads to that is from the pulpit out. Because God in his word is always the beginning of everything, isn't he? The ministry of God's word is given to change and grow and train the people of God for all of their other ministry and all the many, many things that that will look like. All I'm saying is that has to include response to the issue of abortion. So where are people going to get equipping for that from the ministry of the word if it isn't from the ministers of the word that have been given to God's church and and that means that means the logic of what I've just said as well means we can actually trace our abortion problem travesty tragedy in our culture we can actually trace that back to the pulpit the church is supposed to be shaped by the world Sorry, the church is supposed to shape the world, not be shaped by the world. But the church is supposed to be shaped by the ministry of the word. Did you see the logic? So guess what happens when the pulpit is silent on abortion? Guess what happens? We don't need to guess. We're living in it. And the tragedy is that it's like we're stemming the flow of grace at the source. Grace is supposed to flow out from the word through the people of God, to the world around us. But we say not on that, not, not for this. But here's the good news, right? That means that if we can trace the problem back to the pulpit, we're part of the problem. That means 
we can be under God part of the solution, right? And that's, that's the real message that I want you to take away. Uh, preaching on it alone is not sufficient. We, we don't want to just sort of tick a box so that we can solve our consciences once a year, but it is a start. And it's a very significant start. Uh, what I've tried to show is that discharging our duty to preach the gospel, to reform the church, see the church renewed, and to care for the flock leads us to the issue of abortion. I want to finish with a final thought, therefore, about courage. This is C.S. Lewis. He says this, Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of highest reality. What he's saying this is he's saying, how do you know whether you are truly loving and compassionate and truthful and kind and generous and uh, the fruit of the spirit and other, other virtues that, that scriptures uh, call us to and equip us for? How do you know that you are those things? Well, it's when things get uh, unpopular or costly. It's when it gets tested. It's easy to be loving when everybody is. Uh, or when other people will see that you're being loving and go, well done for being loving. But when it's tested, that's when we know, isn't it? It's the form of every virtue at the point of testing. That's what courage is. Abortion represents just such a point of testing for us. Will we be loving when the culture will interpret our love as hate? Will we be truthful when the truth is deeply unpopular? Um, it's easy as a, for a church to run a, a mercy ministry that everybody in the community around you agrees that is a need and the church should be meeting that need. But what about when everybody goes, that is none of your business? But I'm talking specifically here, aren't I, about the pastoral ministry. So think about it like this. It's easy to preach faithfully when people will pat us on the back for it or when the idols that we're preaching against are the idols of 200 years ago and we can just go, wasn't it terrible when they had slavery or something like that? Will we be faithful to Christ and his word and his flock when it's uncomfortable and costly? Why do I preach on abortion once a year? Well, it's for the sake of my courage. It's to help prevent me from being a coward. Very good. Thank you.